November 13th, 2023. We're in Masechet Bava Kaman, Amud Bet. If you count from the bottom of the Amud up, 16 lines up, we're going to return to the beginning of the conversation with regards to Mav'eh. If you recall, the Mishnah has four Avot Nizikin, four primary categories with regards to damages that a person's property might cause to another, or alternatively, that they might cause to another. And the third of them, after the shor and bor, there was mav'eh. Now that word is hard to translate. What does the word mav'eh mean? It's not a regular Hebrew word. And in turn, we're going to have, thank you, I'll load it up. Anyone else want to bring something? And in turn, the, the Gemara will have two opinions as to how to define just that word mav'eh. Says the Gemara, my mav'eh, at the end of this line, says, what does it mean when it says mav'eh? Rav amar mav'eh ze adam, ushmuel amar mav'eh ze hashem. There's a dispute, a disagreement between Rav and Shemuel as to how to define mav'eh. According to Rav, its definition of mav'eh is adam, a human being. If a human being, if me or you, damages the property of another one, uh, that's what it's referring to in the Mishnah when the Mishnah says mav'eh a person who damages the property of another. Alternatively, Shemuel says, and here's a word that we're familiar with already, is shen. Shen means that your property, your animal, damaged the property of another, but in so doing, they benefited. They derived some sort of pleasure. They ate from it. They scratched their back on it. They did something in order to derive pleasure. That's what's called shen. We talked about shen already. We assumed shen was subsumed under the heading called Shor. Now, according to Shemuel, Mav'eh is separate. You have Shor, which might have in it Keren, maybe even Regel, and then you have separately, Mav'eh would be a definition of Shem. I will have to deal with each of these two opinions, both in re- with regards to their own opinion, and as well as why do they not accept the opinion of the other. But those are the two opinions. Says the Gemara, Rav Amar, Mav'eh ze Adam. Why is Rav's position that Mav'ez Adam dikhtiv amar shomer ata boker vegamlayla imtiv'ayun be'ayu? The Pasuk, as Rashi translate for, translates it for us, is referring to end of days prophecy. Amar shomer, shomer over here is referring to shomer Israel, the guardian of Am Yisrael, of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ata boker, morning, the light is coming. Ata means to come. The light is coming, meaning the end of days is coming, and those who have been righteous will experience it as a lit up morning time. They'll be rewarded for all that they did right. But no, those who are wicked, those who acted wrongfully, it'll be nighttime for them, it'll be darkness, it'll be a bleak and terrible existence in the end of days, which is quickly approaching. However, there's a little bit of hope even for those who have been wicked. If you're looking to request, to repent, to turn to God and seek, some sort of teshuba, some sort of change in your relationship, be'ayu, make certain that you do so right now. Make certain that the ge'ulah won't pass you over and affect only the righteous ones. Make certain that you're a part of it. It means that the word be'ayu, milashon mav'eh, is referring to human beings. Human beings in a prayerful, repentant uh, approach of God. Uh, that's the definition of mav'eh. So Rav has a source for his position that mav'eh, 
Mem bet ayin he. We have those words bet ayin he in there. That those letters in be'ayun and tivayun be'ayu is referring to a human being. Ushmuel Amar Shemuel disagreed. His position was mavair referred not to a human being but rather to shen mavaze hashen dichtiv. He cites a pasuk from Sefer Ovadia. Dichtiv ech nechpesu esav nivau matzpunav. Now already, uh, just looking at the Pasuk quickly, you see what he's referring to. He's referring to that second to last word, niv'ul. And we'll read in a moment the definition of the word niv'ul, I'm telling you already now, is to become revealed. In turn, well, that's the definition for us. We defined shin, the tooth of an animal, the human being, as something which is sometimes revealed and other times concealed. Remember, we refer to the word galal, something which is sometimes revealed, other times concealed. Uh, what other body part do we have like that? Our body parts are either revealed or concealed. You have either things that are inside or outside. Teeth are sometimes exposed and other times not so. It's for that reason that he'll suggest that if the word niv'u in this pasuk is referring to something which is revealed, well, it in turn is a reference to shin. What does the pasuk mean? What's that? Shin, the definition is hana. That's right. If it's a tooth, it's the side of an animal which is doing it for hana. No intent to damage, rather intent just to derive hana. That's what is the uh, next 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 lines in the Gemara? A B says, I said earlier in the class, it's probably Keren and Regil. The Gemara will initially say it's just Keren, but we're going to deal with that in a bit. Says the Gemara, okay, uh, but those are the two Pesukim. The second Pasuk, that of Shimuel, even though Harari just told you what it means, uh, we still don't know what any of it means. Why are we talking about Esav and searching and seeking and finding? My Mashma, what did that Pasuk mean? Again, the most important part for us is not the parshanut over here, understanding the pasuk and sefer al-vadya, we need it for our purposes in order to define the word niv'u, but let's understand it in its fullest. Kedimetargem Rav Yosef, as Rav Yosef reported, because as Tosafot explains, he was very proficient in targum. He knew the targumim of nivim and of ketubim, apparently better than others. And uh, the Gemara Megillah says that the Targum of Nevi'im and Ketubim are primarily from Yonatan ben Uziel, but Rav Yosef, for one reason or another, knew it best. He translated it and telling them, uh, well, what the translation is. Ichdin, Ichdin means like how. It belish Esav. Esav was, um, was, was discovered, was, uh, was, was entered into. Itgalin matmarohi. It was itgalin, which of course is the most important word, revealed matmarohi. Uh, matmarohi refers to something that is hidden away, his treasures. It's a reference to some uh, end of days or some coming time during which Esav, representative of Edom, representative of a nation aside from our own, uh, they might have a lot of treasures. They might have a lot of precious things. They might be in possession of strength and of uh, greatness and wealth. You should know a time is coming where they'll be infiltrated and it'll be discovered, revealed, and taken from them. Okay, but that's most important for us is the pasuk uh, refers to the word niv'u and we're translating it as itgalin, revealed. You refer to the body part which is sometimes revealed and other times concealed as shin. All right, that's what we have. So the Gemara then says we have two opinions. The pesukim aside, because the Gemara will say each one of them have pesukim, 
well, fundamentally, what are they disagreeing about? First and foremost, why did each of them protest the other opinion? Rav maintains that is Adam. What was wrong with that pasuk of Shemuel? Wasn't it a beautiful pasuk? Niv'u, meaning something which is revealed. It says that the Mishnah refers to in the third of these Arba'a, Avot Nezikin, not to a Niv'eh, but to a Mav'eh. What's the difference between those two words? Mav'eh is something which is active. Niv'eh is something which is happening to you. Mav'eh means you reveal, if we're translating the word as uh, revealing. Niv'eh means it becomes revealed. In turn, if the Mishnah says, it's something which does that action. Well, a tooth doesn't reveal, a tooth becomes revealed. And as a result, he says, grammatically, I like your interpretation of the Pasuk, but it doesn't fit the word in our Mishnah. The word in our Mishnah is, it does something with, it's doing something, it's not being done to it. As a result, says Rav, I can't accept your opinion, Shemuel. All right, he's got a grammatical claim. All right, that's, again, it's a, it's a nuanced, a detailed claim over here, but each one of them are staking out their ground. Ushmuel, my ta'amalo amar rav. All right, Shemuel, what about Rav's opinion? Shemuel, you maintained it. Shen, is defined as the tooth, is the benefit of an animal when it damages another person uh, or another person's property and is not doing with the intention of damage, but rather of benefit. Um, Shemuel, what was wrong with the pasuk of Rav? Remember the pasuk of Rav im tiv'ayun be'ayu, if you'll request, if you'll repent, if you'll pray. Well, do so now in order to be a part of the redemption, part of the ge'ula. Isn't that a beautiful pasuk? Doesn't it refer to be'ayu with a human being? You request, I request, we should be repenting. Amalecha mikatane bo'e, question mark. It says the Mishnah doesn't say bo'e, it says if the word that we would use by human beings is be'ayu, without the mem at the beginning, it would seem more precise in the Mishnah that it should say hashor bor veha bo'e. What's mav'e? Seems to be referring to something else. Okay, it means grammatically and scripturally with regards to the pesukim, with regards to how the words are articulated, neither Shimuel nor Rav really have the upper hand over here. They seem to be on equal ground. Each one of them defends their opinion, but each one of them is attacked from the other side. Rav maintains Mav'eh means Adam. Shemuel says it's Shen. But neither one of them can force their position onto the other. And that's what the Gemara remarks. Mikhteh means really, let's analyze, let's realize. Kera'eh, mikra, means something that you read. The pesukim, lokemor dayeke, they're not read carefully and best according to one of the two opinions. More literally means the master. Velokemor dayeke, neither like the other opinion. Rav and Shemuel, I'm finding something with you. I say yes, you say no. You bring proof, I bring proof. You knock down my proof, I knock down your proof. So, all right, so then what are you guys disagreeing about? There must be something that's, that's forcing uh, each of your positions. Uh, and that's what the Gemara says. So, Rav Maitama, Lo Amar Kishmuel. Why does Rav maintain that Mav'e is Adam and not Shen? That's the way we begin this. Rav was the first opinion. Rav says Mav'e is Adam. Why doesn't he think it's Shin? And this is the answer as, uh, as, as uh, Jesse was referring to earlier, says the Gemara. Tana, Rav's position is the author of the Mishnah taught, Shor, Vichol Mile, Deshor. 
The Mishnah said, Hashor, Habor, When I read the word Shor and the word Bor and the word, each one of them independently, I said, Shor means animal. Animal incorporates and has underneath it anything having to do with an animal. That includes goring, kerin, and trampling, regal, and even benefiting, eating, doing anything for the beneficial reasons as opposed to for damaging reason called shin. Why would you separate shin from shor? That's Rav's position. He says, for that reason, Mav'eh has to be human being. Adam, I can't accept Shin. That's a great claim. That's certainly the way we read the Mishnah until now. Uh, how do you defend yourself? Ush- um, uh, that's a good question. Was, uh, uh, Nathan says, why didn't Rav say this from the beginning? He still has to defend why it's Adam. Also, this is only why it's not Shem. You have to defend why, it's, why it is Adam. That's really what we've been doing until now. And we turn in, as a result to Shemuel. We say, Shemuel, you, you maintain that Mav'e means Shem. Isn't that part of Shor? Hatanale Shor, didn't you say in the Mishnah Shor? Amar Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda defending his colleague Shemuel suggests, Tana Shor lekarno umav'e leshino. When the Mishnah said Shor, it referred specifically and only to Keren, that's goring, and afterwards it says bor, and then it says mav'e, and mav'e refers to shin. Oh, that's it. Of course, we're missing one. Which one are we missing? Regel, and the Gemara will ask that over here on Davdalit. What happened to Regel? But at this point, at the very least, we're suggesting for some reason in Shemuel, they're broken up. You have Shor being Keren, which I think is the easiest to sell. Because of the Halakha, so they split it out because the Halakha, you have to separate out Shen from Shor because it's Because, I mean, Think about it, let, let, let me say it like this. Until now, we've been maintaining there are four Avot Nezikin. And yet, on Daf Beta Mudbet, we went through a whole thing, and I kept saying, Shem, Regal, and Keren, and I said, they're all Av, because they're all in the Torah. So why aren't they listed separately? And so what I'm saying, is, you're right, the word Shor seems to be all in, encapsulating. But ultimately speaking, if the point is, every Av is what's written in the Torah, how come the Mishnah didn't count them as, each as an independent one? And yes, each one has a reason why it's more severe or less severe than the other. So that being the case, says the Gemara, Shmuel nameh hatanel leshor. Answers the Gemara, Amar of Yehuda, Tanashor lekarno mavgel leshino. Now says the Gemara, let's now finish the Mishnah. Read the Mishnah according to Shmuel. It's according to Shmuel because the concluding words in our Mishnah, right, right after we went through all these, the Mishnah said lo rei. Remember, this one's not like that one. It's really just on the second line or the third line on Daf Bet Amudalef. It says, Lo hare hashor kahare hamav'e, ve lo hare hamav'e kahare hashor. I'm just reading from the Mishnah we read on day one. Now, we didn't really know what those words meant on day one because we didn't know what mav'e meant. Now we have a definition of mav'e. Mav'e, according to Shemuel, means shin. So let's read those words. Shor, according to Shemuel, means keren. Oh, so now we can read those words and uh, replace them. Lo hare hakeren kahare hashin. I'm just 
replacing those words with what they actually mean, Shimuel just told us. Now, what does it mean, lohare and lohare? So if you recall, we explained this on day one. It'll take a little bit of time to digest this, but we need to digest it because we're going to have a lot of this at play in the next few dapim. The concept is a concept known as binyan av. Binyan av means that if I were to tell you one law about one topic in the Torah, you could and should apply it to all other topics unless you have a reason not to say, not to do so. Again, the logic of the Torah, according to the rabbinic interpretation, is everything is an av, everything is a father. We're all one nation, we're all one Torah, and as a result, if I know something about one, it should apply to all others, unless you have a reason to say otherwise. Uh, what, what type of reason? Well, I know that uh, the Torah says, Ish imo ve'aviv tira'u. So it says that you're obligated to honor your parents. I should apply that to everyone. Oh, but maybe not. The pasuk says only ish. Okay, so then I'll say differently. Oh, but then it says tirau. But the point is, initially, when the Torah commands something, it should apply to all unless I have a reason not to. So the Mishnah, as a result, is questioning, why don't we just teach one case of damage in the Torah? Chalas. The Torah says, if your property damages, you're liable. That's it. What's the example? Kirin. The Torah should say, if your animal gores another, it is liable for damage. Period. Now I'll know if your animal eats, it's liable. Now I'll know if your animal tramples, it's liable. Now I'll know if uh, something falls into your pit, it's liable. And so on and so forth. Why do you need each one of these independently? That's what the Mishnah is telling you. It's not filling it out and giving you the logic. It's saying you couldn't do that. If the Torah just mentioned Kirin, you wouldn't know Shin. If the Torah just mentioned Shin, you couldn't derive Kaden. Each one of them apparently has a severity that the other doesn't. What do I mean by a severity that the other doesn't? I, uh, I, I bump into, my brother told me he bumped into a student from the school in Vermont. So my brother lives in Vermont. This is a true story. He bumped into a student and my brother called me. He says, are all the students like this today? I said, what do you mean? He says, praying Minhan Abit every day in the Chabad in, uh, in, in Vermont. He said, the boy is in a math camp. This is all a true story. Uh, he said, the boy loves like He said, I see him in between Minhan Abit sitting and learning Torah. I said, slow, slow down, slow down, you know. No, I wish. Um, but uh, so he said, what do you mean? Uh, basically what he's saying is, binyanav. He didn't really ask it to me like this. Binyanav, let's assume every kid from the school is the same way. One second, let's figure out what's the kid's background. Right? Maybe his family, maybe that'll be a distinguishing feature. I know his background's the same as everyone else's. All right, let's check his IQ. Well, maybe he's more, uh, he's more intellectually stimulated because he's got a higher IQ. Uh, so, you know, in other words, each one of those are features. This was the example I gave in school in the double time. Right? The kid was in the class. Um, anyway, each one of these are features why I would say this is different and you can't derive from this one to all the others. That's what we need to do now in the Gemara. Why would Keren be the case where you're liable and not shame? And if the Torah just mentioned Shin, why would I say it's only by Shin and not by another? With this kid, I'll say, oh, happens to be true. He's Ashkenaz, that's why he's so dedicated, happens to be true. I, I maybe, you know, anyway, so uh, maybe you say he comes from, and it's true, one of his parents is like an academic, that's why he's intellectually stimulated. Because that's what we're gonna do over here in the Gemara. So says the Gemara, let's now flesh that out. Here's what it says, two lines from the bottom, and this is what the Mishnah was saying. I'm going to just read the words for a moment, then we're going to, in the Gemara, realize why these words are hard to, to translate, as we will. Um, but it says that the Kirin is not like 
um, shen, because the keren doesn't have benefit as it damages, as opposed to shen, which does have benefit when it damages. Can you say that a keren has benefit? Animals, a wild animal, gets rage out. I've thought about that a lot as well. Apparently not. Apparently not. Apparently the assumption is that when an animal gores, it's not per se uh, benefiting itself. It's more just to damage. But we're thinking too much like human beings when we think like that. And you should know the difference between shin and keren on the flip side is that Keren has intention to damage, as opposed to benefit, as opposed to Shen has only intention to benefit. Now, just very briefly, because it's a little confusing what the Gemara does now, is the Gemara's understanding is the first of those two, when I say A is not like B, because, and B is not like A, because the assumption is the first one is the more severe one. The way of saying, if the Torah just mentioned this one, you couldn't learn this other one from it. And if that's the case, things are a little bit backwards over here because look, for example, this is what the Gemara does when it says, the top of The fact that it doesn't have intention to damage is not a reason why it's more severe if you're liable. That's less severe if you're liable. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, an animal which didn't have intention to damage and nonetheless you're obligated to pay. So certainly if it had intention to damage, that's what we call a kalvahonim. Because the Gemara just is bothered, and they'll end up flipping it, but Gemara is bothered in the way it's articulated, in the way it's being stated. Let me make that clear uh, again. In other words, I walk in and I'll talk about Keren and Shen, just exactly as the Gemara does. I say to you, listen, if the Torah just mentioned Shen, just told the story of an animal which eats the property of another, I wouldn't know Keren as well. You want to know why? Because Shen, in eating from the property, it doesn't have intention to damage. When it gores, it has intention to damage. So, ah, I don't understand what you're talking about, Rabbi. If it doesn't have intention to damage, and you're still liable, so certainly if it had intention to damage, you're liable, right? Almost that's what the Gemara is going to say. I just don't understand the way you just spoke that out. It didn't make sense. And as a result, we're going to flip everything. In, in just a moment, you'll see how it plays out. Um, well, the question is, how much are you, listen, you and I both agree, I think, that if it's be'onis, if it's a ruach she'ena misuya, you left something on your roof and it's strong, it's a, a, a ton, and some, and, and then a hurricane comes along and pulls it, I understand, but what I'm saying is your assumption is you're liable for everything. The Torah's assumption is you're liable for nothing until I tell you you're liable. In fact, we'll see that a little bit later on the page, uh, on the Amud over here when we'll talk about Eved and Aman and the logic that's, so that, that's the Hanahari Shonaz. I mean, the first assumption is you're not liable for anything unless you're told that you're liable. But sometimes when an animal damages eating, doesn't it first kill its prey with its horn and then eat it? Yes. Okay. So that's like Shahidah. Okay, so that'll be Keren and followed by Shin or something like that. Over here, let's leave an animal out of it. It's going and taking from your crops. It's eating from your field. There will be cases, but uh, mostly all liable. In other words, ultimately speaking, when you damage, 
unless there's you know, mitigating circumstances, you're going to be liable. Again, that's only after the fact. You're right, after the fact that the Torah told you that. That's the point on this. Now, I did begin on day one or day two and say to you that there's shmirato alech, shmiratana alecha means you violated an isur from the Torah. You violated a prohibition no matter what, whether you're liable or not, by damaging another. From one of five suggestions, if you remember, we were talking about Kehilot Yaakov suggesting all those reasons. So you're going to be liable in terms of your relationship with God no matter what. The question is whether you have to pay. Ultimately speaking, you have to pay for pretty much all. But anyway, says the Gemara. Are we trying to figure out if we could have penalty? Yes. I'm calling it liability because penalty is kinas. Yeah. In our Mishnah, we're not talking about death. Our Mishnah, we're just talking about Nitzis. I mean, a death to a human or death to an animal? Death to a human, separate conversation. Yeah, that's not our Mishnah, but we'll deal with it. Anyway, it says the Gemara, Velav Kalvahomeru. Wouldn't this be uh, logical that if you, again, just told me shen, then I certainly would know keren. Umashen shen kavanato lahazik hayav keren shkavanato lahazik lokol sheken. One second, I don't understand. If you do, the way you just articulated this, the way you just spoke this out to me was, well, shen doesn't have intention to damage, and you're obligated. You wouldn't know keren where you have obli- you have intention to dam. What? No, it's quite the opposite. Logically speaking, if uh, you tell me when the child, when the animal, when the something damaged, even though it didn't have intention to damage, and you're liable to pay for those damages, certainly when it has intention to damage, answers the Gemara, it's tarikh. The initial answer, again, I told you, ultimately speaking, we're going to flip the, the, the logic over here, which you'll hopefully get to today, but first says the Gemara, it's tarikh. It says the Gemara, perhaps there was nonetheless a necessity what do we mean there's a necessity? I maybe would have thought to say that Karen, the goring, is not liable. Why would goring not be liable? Maybe it's similar to a case of your slave or maidservant who damaged. The Mishnah later on, as Rashi cites, the Mishnah and Masechet Yadayim, as uh, Tosafot cites, teach us the following. Eved ve'ama lav afal gav de kavanatan lahazik, afilu hache petire, hache name lashena. If your slave or maid servant has intention to damage, goes to your next door neighbor and pulls out uh, the, from their yard, goes to your next door neighbor and cracks their windows, crashes their windows, goes to your friend down the block and is angry at them and uh, flattens their tires or scrapes their car, whatever, you're not liable. Well, one second. Ah. Uh, understood. Give me one second. So you're not liable. He has that, but he doesn't have any possessions. Ultimately speaking, he is your possession. He has free choice. I understand. He but he is... He, why shouldn't he be? Why shouldn't he be? He doesn't... You're my... Harari's, Harari's Eved or Ama, who damages someone else's property, Harari is not liable to pay. And as a result, we would have thought that the Eved and Ama are identical to Keren. Keren, where there's Kavanah lehazik, that's the quasi-da'at over here, Jared, is just like Eved and Ama, which is 
kavanatan lehazik, and the same way that by Eved and Ama, we don't know why yet, you're not liable, maybe by Keren as well, you wouldn't be liable. That's what the Mishnah is maybe saying. If by Shin, where there's no Kavana lehazik, you're Hayab, if by the eating, by the beneficial action, you're obligated, you can't derive from that when there's intention to. What's that? With regards to the owner or with regards to the Eved? When the Eved becomes freed, they are obligated. In the meantime, sorry, Charlie, you gotta wait until it gets freed. Um, what's the reasoning? Hang tight. Perhaps we would have said that by Karen as well, you're not liable. You can't do such a thing. You would never have thought that Karen, your animal which gores, is likened to Evadenama because fundamentally the Evadenama should be your responsibility. What do you mean they should be my responsibility? Uh, that's right. They're your property. You have to pay for them. Uh, atu means, do you mean to tell me? Do they not have a great reasoning? It's not just, oh, they had intention to damage. Oh, so they're not liable. That's nonsense. That's ludicrous. That defies any logic. So then why aren't you obligated when your Evid or Ama damaged another? The only reason why a slave or a maidservant pose no liability to the owner is because it would be a very dangerous situation owning an Eved in any town, in any community, at any time. If the owner in some way got angry, got in a fight with the slave, the slave would say, oh, I'll make you liable for millions of dollars. I know I don't have my own possession. I'm not in my own possession. I'll make you liable. You, you think you're going to treat me like that? I'll go next door. I'll burn down the house. Guess who has to pay? You. I'll go uh, down the block. I'll cra- crash his car. Guess who has to pay? You. And as a result, we would lose any society. I mean, <laughs> I understand. The counterclaim says Nathan is, doesn't he want to go for free? But, but ultimately speaking, uh, Jared, real liberal here today. Anyway, but ultimately speaking, ultimately speaking, the Gemara is saying that you can't liken, you can't look at Eved and Amah and say, any case where your property had intention to damage, you're not liable. No, there's only a specific reason over there. The specific reason is because the Eved and Amah will try to mess you up. And as a result, the rabbis built some sort of system. Alternatively, some of the Rishonim understand this as the Torah built a system where the Eved and Amah don't pose a liability to you. Again, read it in the Gemara Shemeh. The reason is because maybe Yaknitenu Rabbo, Nitenu Rabbo means his master of the slave or the maidservant will make them angry, will provoke them. And they'll go and they'll light up the gadish, the, uh, the growth of their friend, the bushels of their friend, in other words, uh, incur major damages. And the slave, as a result of doing so, will make their master obligated in a hundred, well, let's call it $100,000 every day. 
But it means then we're back to square one with regards to the issue we posed. What was the issue? We, that's right, oxen are not doing that. And in turn, if you tell me that shin, uh, something that eats and doesn't have intention to damage, and something which gets benefit and damages but doesn't have intention to damage is liable. So certainly we call that kalva homer, keren, where there is intention to damage, will be liable. Ela parichache, rather this is how the end of the Mishnah meant to, uh, so to speak, question and explain why you can't make those binyan av as follows. First and foremost, the logic goes as follows. If the Torah just mentioned Kerin, the goring, I wouldn't derive from it Shin, the beneficial. Why not? Because I would say the only reason goring is liable is because it had intention to damage. Intention to damage, that's where you're liable. That's a severity. We call that a humrah. You can't derive from that shin where there is no intention to damage. So then the Torah should just give me one of the two cases. Just tell me shin. Just tell me when there was a beneficial damage. It went and it ate. That's where you're liable. You see, he didn't even have intention to damage his... No, but he got benefit. Maybe the reason Shen is liable is because he got benefit. We call that a homrah. Again, back to the example of the student. You can't derive that all the students are the same because of this student, because maybe he's got this, others don't have that, maybe he's got that. So that's what we're doing over here. Shen has hana'ah, that's why it's liable. Kiri'i ha'keren she'en hana'ah lahaziko. Period. Uh, so it means we finish this conversation with regards to mav'eh to a certain extent. The Gemara just has, I'm just going to read the question and pause with that. It has one lingering question. Rav Yehuda's interpretation of Shemuel. Okay, scratch the names. The understanding of the Mishnah, according to the second opinion, went as follows. Shor equals Kerim. Mav'eh equals Shem. We have a third one. It's called Regel. It's the trampling. What happened to that? It's explicit in the Torah. Vishilahet be'iro, veregel maishiyere, question mark. Regel, why was it left out? All right, that's what we'll have to deal with tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Amen, ve'amen. Ve'chanam